this is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by a true leader in healthcare, Terry Fontenot. Terry has served as the chair of the AHA. She served as the president and CEO of Women's Hospital, one of the most successful and, and busiest women's hospitals in the nation for a long time. Uh, she also is sort of the definition of a self-made person, self-made woman in this case, a magnificent leader, uh, financial background to begin with, and then CEO of a hospital. Terry, can you take a moment to introduce yourself? Sure, Scott. First of all, thank you for that very nice introduction and for the opportunity to do this podcast with you. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, Right now, I'm an independent director. I'm serving on three publicly traded company boards that provide health care and also insurance, workers' comp insurance, so a little health care related. I'm also on the board of a utilities company and a virtual health care startup. I have a boutique consulting advisory practice that's gone better than I expected, and I'm also doing some senior advisory work for a couple of early stage equity forms, uh, firms. And then finally, I'm on the board of the American College of Healthcare Executives until next year, so I'm still in some national nonprofit work related to healthcare executives and advancing their agendas. And the most important thing I'll note is that all these important business functions, but Terry also serves on the advisory board of the Becker's Healthcare Organization and one of my favorite people in the world. Terry, take a moment and talk about transitioning from CEO and just give people a sense of how long you served as CEO of Women's Hospital for to sort of this next part of your career where you're not one to sit still, but you've got yourself actively engaged in a lot of different things. Talk about that transition and how long you served as CEO of Women's Hospital. Well, as you mentioned, I was the CEO of Women's for 23 years, actually, quite a long time, sort of unusual these days. Prior to that, I was the chief financial officer for 14 years in four different health systems. So, as again, as you mentioned, I have a financial background, but I really enjoyed Uh, the CEO work. Women's Hospital is an independent freestanding hospital, so it was really important, I thought, to have a strong financial background uh, in order to be able to remain independent. But as I had opportunities to share the work that Women's was doing uh, nationally through speaking engagements, and I've always been interested in governance and strategy, opportunities came to me to be able to join boards. And I really enjoyed working with people who um, were at the top of their careers, so to speak. They were very engaged in the work that they were doing. They obviously are very smart and articulate. And so as I had the opportunity to serve on boards, then I became much more interested in that. And I always knew when I was no longer uh, a sitting CEO that I wanted to remain engaged through governance and strategic advisory work. So I've been very blessed to have that opportunity to do that. Uh, So the transition for me, I've called it, it, I'm not in retirement, I'm in preferment, because now I'm doing the things that I really can get excited about and um, blessed to have the time and the opportunity and the challenges in order to do it. The COVID situation has been a great example, so I'm not directly involved in acute care right now, but I am on the boards of a a healthcare staffing company and a home health hospice company, and they do LTAC work too, LHC group. So I've been able to stay engaged 
in a different way, but also observing the great work that my colleagues have been doing through this pandemic. They deserve so much in the way of accolades and support for their resilience and their resolve in getting through this with keeping their teams intact and helping people get well. So you've got this broad perspective. You're serving on the boards of several companies now, really a magnificent, and I've had the chance to know you for now 15, 20 years, and just a magnificent person and leader. Talk a little bit about some of the things you see in healthcare today and some of the big challenges you see in healthcare today. What, what are a few things that you look at and say, well, this is a challenge. This is even a worse challenge than we had when I was running a hospital. It's not very long ago, but what are, what are some of the big challenges you see today? Well, certainly COVID. Uh, where I'm from, the South Louisiana area, we're used to dealing with disasters in the name of hurricanes and, and accompanying tornadoes and flooding. So, But that's a little bit different disaster because it has more of an end to it, and I guess because they're so frequent, we've really figured out how to best manage those, even though every one is a little different going back to Hurricane Katrina where New Orleans flooded and that really changed the landscape of the way that we interacted with other agencies. COVID has a lot of those elements. Um, and so, but at the end of the day, it, you, leaders and organizations have got to figure out how they're going to be able to manage patients, how they're going to be able to sustain the level of energy and enthusiasm that's required. And because it's so unprecedented in all of our lifetimes, we haven't seen anything quite like this. It's, and the implications of global shortages for PPE and supply chain interruption, those are just, to me, really top of mind. And the sense of urgency around that, and it looks like we're about to have a second surge, is so important. But I actually am optimistic that the second time around, even though there may be more patients, the treatment protocols and the way patients are cared for, I'm really optimistic that there's going to be better outcomes in terms of um, morbidity when we get and mortality when we get through this second round. And of course, the news about possible one or two, three vaccines in the next few months is very encouraging. So I think, you know, we have to just continue to be optimistic and hopeful. Otherwise, it's really hard to get through these real challenges. But short term, I think everybody's focused on COVID. There are a lot of other challenges that that are still there and they've been parked. But I've also noticed that many of the challenges that we were ha having a hard time getting traction around, like virtual visits and some of the other technology opportunities, that has really accelerated. One of my favorites is all the um, regulatory requirements that have been dropped through the pandemic. It was things that we wanted, such as um, federal licensure and, and elim eliminating state licensure requirements. That was such a burden and a it would really slowed the process, particularly for specialists to work in different states where there's a shortage of those subspecialists. So I'm hopeful that because we've seen that care is not going to be compromised as a result of some of those things that had been in place before that people were so slow to um, get past or willing to drop, you know, they were, they were obsolete in my mind for a long time and, I, and a lot of others too. So the fact that we can find a few silver linings in this crisis and hopefully we've learned the speed is really critical and we need to figure out how to move healthcare delivery faster. It's got to transform faster. 
Terry, when you look at home health staffing, you look at hospital staffing, and you look at staffing in general, we were already in a spot in our country pre-COVID where people could see on the horizon big challenges with staffing in, in the next 10 years at the physician level, at the clinician level, at the staffing level, at every level. How, how do you look at those issues, and are there going to be acute scarcities of staff, or what do, you, what do you sort of see? What's your crystal ball tell you about staffing? Well, I do think there's going to be a short. There's already shortages of subspecialty physicians, and there's been shortages of nurses and other allied health professionals for quite some time. But there are also ways to provide that care in a safe manner and make sure that people who are licensed clinical professionals are working at the top of their license rather than doing things that uh, maybe lower-level staff can be supervised to do. And so that's, that's what I was referring to a little bit earlier with some of the licensing requirements that, that are around. Uh, Medicare, just in this past year for home health, decided that physical therapists did not have to do all, as many home health visits or be quite as involved in home health care. And that changed uh, the need for physical therapists considerably so that's just one example. Now home health is, uh, Medicare is allowing some home health virtual visits. And through making the care hopefully more accessible and more convenient, that's going to bring the cost down. And that in, also will help the shortages because if people are getting care when it's convenient and earlier in their illness or their their need for access to care, then hopefully it won't be quite as acute and they won't end up in hospitals uh, because we're treating the, the illness or the diagnosis sooner rather than later. So I, I, I do think that there's going to continue to be a shortage, but I think hopefully that we are embracing and willing to adopt different ways, use, utilizing a lot of technology and the predictive analytics to hopefully reduce the amount of, of interaction that patients may need and the acuity of their illness. Thank you very much. Let, let me ask you another question, Terry. You and, and really very few other people have I seen do this magnificent transition from their core role that's such a big part of their life, being CEO of a major health system, through this next part of their life where they're involved in several different boards, several different leadership capacities, and, and really thriving. Talk about any advice you would give to leaders on sort of planning for this next stage of your professional life. Scott, that is such an important question, and I had been considering uh, leaving a full-time CEO position for several years before I actually did it. I knew that I didn't want to work until I was completely retired and gardening or playing golf or playing bridge. Uh, but I still found myself a little uh, unsettled or unstable when I made that transition. I was already on a number of the boards that I, that I just mentioned. So the transition was a little bit easier for me. But, you know, when you've put your heart and soul into an organization for decades, it really is a little difficult to detach. And I've talked to other colleagues who have gone through the same thing. So for me, it was really important to have a support group, people who I knew that were that I could talk with who had, had 
experienced some of the same things that I was going through, um, even though it was something that I wanted to do. And I, I, I gave my board two or three years notice before I actually left. But, you know, it, it can be a little bit of a surprise because it, it's, it's changing from two of the things that were the hardest for me is not having an executive assistant, not having an IT department, to tell you the truth. Um, so, it, you know, it's all the way from scheduling your own meetings to managing your time and also making sure that you don't take on too much too soon. Because I think, we, you know, we all need to take a little downtime. We need to relax, try to get away from the the stress and the hustle and bustle of of full-time, full-time plus position when you're a healthcare executive. So that was uh, just kind of throttling back was also a little bit difficult for me, but I've quickly picked it back up and I love what I'm doing now. I wish it, I wish I'd done it sooner. That's what a lot of people told me that I would end up saying, and I did because now I can really focus on the things that I can be passionate about. Cherry, I, I want to thank you for joining us today. You're one of the great examples of leadership in our nation, both at the health system level and in the ability to transition leadership in your career and what you're doing today after 23 years at the helm of a single hospital. The average CEO tenure is about seven years. You did 23 years. It's really a magnificent study in leadership, and your success today is a tribute to you and the centered and wonderful person that you are and the great leader you are. So, Terry, again, thank you for joining us today on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thank you so much, Scott. I really enjoyed talking with you.